0: Hey everyone, you are listening to the Covenant Grace Church Podcast. We are a gospel-centered community on mission with Jesus in Port Elizabeth, South Africa. Thank you for joining us as we journey through the book of Exodus. Enjoy the message. Exodus chapter 20 verse 13, you shall not murder. But have you ever wondered why murder is wrong? If you had to canvass your neighborhood and ask general public this question, why is murder wrong? It seems like there is a universal agreement, and I I would guess that at least 99.9% of people around the world would agree that murder is wrong, and maybe some of the reasons for why it is wrong would be things like this, it's just not right, hey, that's good enough, or uh, we should treat each other like we want to be treated. And some people might even say, if our society is to function where people feel safe and where humanity flourishes, we can't just go around killing people. And those are all good reasons. And uh, in thinking through those reasons, it reminded me of a story that I heard recently about an atheist who was arguing in a panel situation and uh, He was arguing that the Ten Commandments are irrelevant for the world today and they are outdated and an ancient document that has no relevance for how we should live today. And then the speaker uh, responded to the atheist and said, so what then would you say is a good code of conduct for humanity to live by? To which he immediately responded by saying, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. The irony of all of that is that's exactly what Jesus said to summarize the 10 commandments. The point being, there is a universal agreement, whether we agree with each and every statement in the 10 commandments, there is a, a code, a moral code that God has written in the hearts of humanity. And this is one of the most evident of those. However, We also need to acknowledge that although everyone agrees that there should not be the taking of life, the 20th and 21st century, the supposedly most civilized, most sophisticated generation alive, are also responsible for the most horrific atrocities known to man. In fact, stats tell us that more people have been unlawfully killed in the last 150 years than all other years put together. And we can imagine this when we consider the world wars, when we consider genocide, when we consider abortion, when we consider terrorism, when we think about racism, when we think about hate crime, when we think about gender-based violence. I mean, there's not a day that goes by in South Africa where we are not confronted by headlines of radical crime. Hate crime, uh, murder on every headline, on every newspaper, on every newsfeed, we are confronted and we are living in a culture and a society that is inundated with this atrocity of murder. So what are we to make of it? Well, let's have a look at the sixth commandment under two particular headings. Firstly, we're going to consider the context of the command. And then secondly, we're going to think about the scope of this particular command. So point number one, the context of the command. And the reason I want to go here is because although the command is short and it's simple in its statement, it is complex. So we need to consider the context. The context is not just the immediate context because that, as I said, is very simple to understand. It's only a couple of words. But it's referencing all the material that's gone before. And so we go all the way back to Genesis. But before we go there, what word, what is the Hebrew word here for murder? And we see that the Hebrew word here is ratshak. And ratshak means in verse 13, murder. It is a tr- direct translation to murder. And by extension, it can also mean kill. But you shall not kill actually is not a good translation. A better translation, as you'll find in most um, authorized versions of modern translations, is you shall not murder. And the reason for that is when we find other references to killing in the Old Testament, there's actually a very different word. There's an entirely different Hebrew word for to kill than to murder. And so all scholars, most evangelical scholars agree that the translation you shall not kill is too broad because that would mean that all killing of any kind whatsoever is forbidden. And believe it or not, the vegetarians would love that. And they would love to point out the fact that we shouldn't be eating steak and hamburgers, but that's too broad a interpretation. So the interpretation that is most accurate is you shall not murder. Now there another thing another thing we need to think through here is the fact that God has to explicitly tell humanity that this is a bad thing actually says a lot. In fact I think it's telling us that God knows that deep down inside humanity is fallen. And so it is a It's it's completely wrong to think that mankind is basically good. This is one of those places where we realize that the basic nature of man is not good but bad. And we know that almost immediately after the fall of man back in Genesis 3, we find that what human freedom brings in Genesis 4 is murder. And so in Genesis 4 verse 8, we read the following. Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Now, what we know from this is that Cain's sin against his brother was motivated. There was reason and there was some premeditation behind it. And it resulted in the murder of his brother. And so when God says to Israel here at Sinai, you shall not murder, no doubt there are these reference points in the minds of the people of Israel, as well as in the, ten, in the intention of God. In other words, God is saying to this newly formed nation here at Sinai, listen, you guys are going to get irritated with one another. You're going to get underneath each other's skin. You're going, to, you're going to offend one another. You're going to defraud one another. There's going to be things that are going to happen in your interpersonal relationships, living in such close quarters. But whatever you do, you shall not murder. That's not how we deal with problems. Amongst humanity, that's not the way to solve interpersonal relationships. So, you need to be quick to fix these things. So, when we read, You Shall Not Murder, today, you and I might be thinking, Well, you know what? I've got this one. I, you know, this is one of the commandments I'm pretty sure that I have not broken. And so, we could all at this point be breathing a sigh of relief. However, As Jesus points out in the New Testament, that it's not just the act of murder that is wrong, but also the anger and the hatred of the heart towards another person that is equal to murder. And that's what we see was the heart in Cain. And so what Jesus tells us here is nothing new. Have a look with me at Matthew 5 verse 21. Jesus says, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. So he's quoting there, Exodus 20 verse 13, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Now we need to be careful here because a wrong understanding of this would be that Now Jesus in the New Testament is raising the bar as if the bar were lower in the Old Testament, as if in the Old Testament the command was only don't commit the act of murder, but it's okay if you hate your brother. No, that was never the intention. And so Jesus is not necessarily raising the bar. He's explaining the bar. He's giving a rightful interpretation of what you shall not murder actually entails. And so Jesus is emphasizing the correct interpretation, which by the way, Moses actually also told the people in his further laws. For example, in Leviticus 19, verse 17, in the law of Moses, we read this, you shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So there it is in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant. So it's not just the act of murder. It's the attitude of the heart. And we'll come back to that at the end of the sermon. And so we see that this context takes us all the way back to uh, Cain and Abel's scenario. Now, the next important analysis in terms of context is a little bit further on in the Genesis account. That was Genesis 4. But if we go to Genesis 9 verse 6, we read the following. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. So the emphasis here is that God prohibits murder because life is a gift from God and the life that we have is made in the image of God. And so there are the foundational reasons for why murder is wrong. Life is a gift from God and we are made in the image of God, male and female made in the image of God. And so human life is sacred Human life is sacred to God. In a sense, it is holy because we are made in the image of God. And so in that sense, murder is not only a crime against humanity, it is also a crime against God. J.R. Packer says this. He says, human life is the most precious and sacred thing in the world. And to end it is God's prerogative alone. Wow. Not only is he saying that human life is sacred and should be valued, but actually he is saying that we are forbidden from acting like God. And so we should not take on the role of God. It is God's prerogative both to give life and to take life. And that's exactly what the Bible tells us. In Job 1 verse 21, read the following In the context of life and death, we read this. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. And Job's response is, blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, you would have also noticed that in Genesis 9 verse 6, not only is it elevating the sacredness of human life, it also advocates the lawful death, Of a person who commits murder. In fact, that's actually the first statement. The first statement is a statement of what we would today call capital punishment. That, in other words, if you unlawfully take someone's life, then your life shall be taken from you. A life for a life is what we read of in the Old Testament. Now you might be thinking, well, that sounds like a contradiction. How can in the same verse there be this kind of high view of human life and life should be sacred, but at the same time you're saying that if you take someone's life, then your life shall be taken from you, and it is saying that, but here's what the meaning is behind it. The meaning behind it is God is very serious about this. It's emphasizing the severity of the nature of this crime, and it is elevating the sanctity of human life. Kevin DeYoung says this regarding life for a life. He says, within the context of the ancient Near East, this was quite a humane law. It said an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, instead of your head for an eye, your family for a tooth. It set the precedent that the punishment must fit and not exceed the crime. Think that through. I think that's a really good and helpful statement. And then even when we get to the New Testament, we find that Paul is, in in a sense, emphasizing the same point that we see here in Genesis 9 verse 6. And so Paul wants to tell us that, that God has appointed governments, and in his case it would have been the Roman government, God has appointed governments, to oversee civil law and order, and if necessary, they are empowered to take life. We read this in Romans 13, verse 4. But if you do wrong, be afraid, he says, for he, he's talking about government officials, he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrong Doer. Now, the reason we're looking at this is because I'm helping us to see that actually, although it is a simple statement, you shall not murder, it's rather more complex than what we realize. All of this is very complex. And so, a couple of things I want to say. Before we rush to campaigning for capital punishment in the world today, I think we should slow down. Yes, the Bible does allow for capital punishment, but the ethic and the values that we see in the New Testament should make us slow down before we get on the campaign trail. All that Jesus says should mitigate, and in fact, this very warning itself, you shall not murder, you shall not unlawfully kill, should make us pause and rather fight for the sanctity of, of human life. You see, even the Old Testament um, went to great lengths to help explain what was allowed and what wasn't allowed. Um, I'll just give you one example. There the are whole chapters in Exodus that speak to what happens if an Israelite killed another Israelite accidentally. So it wasn't premeditated. It wasn't murder. It was accidental. And then there are whole chapters That speak about, well, you shall set aside a a specific city, a specific region, so that those people who committed this crime accidentally can take refuge there. And so the offender could run away to the city, go to the city, and he could be protected there. There are whole chapters like that. All this to say that within the context, it is a simple truth, but it has layers to it. There are complexities. Murder is forbidden. But not all killing is forbidden. So, point number two, the scope of the commandment. What we're going to look at here is a couple of areas. In in other words, what is prohibited, what is forbidden by this commandment, and what is not forbidden by this commandment. And we're going to think it through both then and for now. So, as we saw above, the sixth commandment forbids murder, but it doesn't forbid Or killing. The reason we can say that is because the very next two chapters, Exodus chapter 21 and Exodus chapter 22, Moses actually outlines various crimes within the theocracy of Israel. Remember, Israel are about to become a theocratic state nation. Which means that they're going to be under God's law, and they're going to function as a state, as a nation, under the law of God. And so God gives them laws to orchestrate and to govern their lives. And so some of these laws included the death penalty, that they were to administer the death penalty, and if you read through chapter twenty-one and chapter twenty-two, things like kidnapping—if you—if you were a kidnapper, then you would be put to death. If you were a murderer, then you would lose your life. Uh, if you—if you were involved in incest or in adultery, or even in breaking the Sabbath, you would be a covenant breaker, a law breaker, and you were eligible. For the punishment of death. These all were punishable by death. And so we we can't just go, well, it rules out all death. Because there in the very immediate context, we see that the death penalty applies to certain sins or breaking of the law. So, for example, then, what was allowed? Well, we find some interesting uh, verses. For example, self-defense was not prohibited. We read this in Exodus 22, verse 2. Have a look there. It says, If a thief is found breaking in and is struck so that he dies, so you're defending yourself and he dies, there shall be no blood guilt for him. And so you are not guilty of murder, according to the law of Moses. We also see in the law of Moses that there are certain cases of war, just war, That were not prohibited. In fact God is about to send this newly formed state nation of Israel. Into the land of Canaan. And they are going to conquer the Canaanites through war. Through battle. How do we make sense of that? Well again it's a theocracy. And they are to picture the eternal promised land. Where the only way to get into heaven. The eternal promised land is through the gate of judgment. And so there will be judgment on the land. As the Israelites go into the land, there will be judgment. And God even calls himself a warrior God who goes before them in battle. The whole book of Joshua, we need to read that with fresh eyes and with humble hearts. Well, those are two exceptions. What about the obvious? Well, premeditated intentional murder is forbidden by the sixth commandment. That is really the mainstream of what we are hearing in this particular command. For example, when David killed Uriah, that was premeditated, cold-blooded murder. It also, not only is it forbidding the obvious um, intentional murder, it also forbids reckless, unintentional murder. For example... If a drunk driver accidentally kills someone, they are responsible. And so this law covers all of these bases. And we really don't have the time to go through all of them. But I'm just giving you a few examples to help us wrap our heads around it. And I also want you to see that the Old Testament was very careful to consider the intention behind the incident. Let me give you one more example. I found this quite interesting. In Deuteronomy 22 verse 8, we read the following. When you build a house, when you build a new house, you shall make a parapet for your roof. Now, this is a law. This wasn't like oh, if you like it or if you don't like it, you can choose. No, no, this is a law for the nation of Israel. When you build a new house, you shall make a parapet for your roof. So you had no you had no choice what kind of roof you wanted. This was the roof you're getting. That, here's the reason, that you may not bring the guilt of blood upon your house if anyone should fall from it. Now, when you go to the the Near East, the ancient East, you realize that they would socialize on the roofs of their houses. This is where they would gather together. They would have a bra on the roof and then people would gather and families would gather and friends would gather and children would gather. And if you didn't have a parapet wall, The point was people would fall off and die. And so the law here is, hey, build a parapet wall because then you will be free from the guilt of someone who may accidentally die. All that to say that the Old Testament took great care and went to great lengths to try and explain the complexities of this law. So in summary, you shall not murder simply means and prohibits all unlawful killing. The laws of God that forbid killing and the laws of the land that forbid killing. Those need to be obeyed. But what happens when the laws of God and the laws of the land collide? And so I want to just shift slightly to some modern-day cultural analysis. I want to look at two particular areas, and these two areas are incredibly controversial and sensitive. But I I really felt in preparing that I wanted to speak into these two areas because there seems to be a, a surge of uh, of... Um, disobedience in this particular area where people are either ignorant of the law or they're blatantly ignoring the law. And so what am I talking about? Well, the first issue is abortion. Here we have in our country, here in South Africa, where abortion is legal. You can legally, the law of the land allows you to have an abortion. But the word of God tells us that That is prohibited. That is a sin. And so the sixth commandment would be prohibiting abortion. Now, it wasn't so long ago where the church universally was in agreement on this issue. It wasn't so long ago where the church actually stood with one voice on this issue. And so sadly, that's no longer the case, which is why I want to speak into this issue today. Because we do need to realize that although times have changed, God's word has not changed on this issue. Psalm 139 verse 13 says this, For you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. This is a very powerful verse that affirms the life of, in the womb. It affirms the reality of body and soul that when biological life begins, personality begins. You are one person. You are not body then soul or soul then body. It's body and soul that begins at conception. Life begins at conception. That is a scientific and biblical fact. On this particular issue, John Calvin, in the 1500s, late 1500s, early 1600s, I think, he said, he said this in one of his commentaries. He said, If it seems more horrible to kill a man in his own house than in a field, because a man's house is his place of most secure refuge, it ought surely to be deemed more atrocious to destroy a fetus in the womb before it has come to light. I know that there is much heartache and many who have wrestled with difficult circumstances around these particular complexities, unwanted pregnancies, uh, difficult home situations and scenarios, but we cannot escape the biblical fact and that is that life Begins at conception, and that all human life, all human life, male and female, doesn't matter what race, doesn't matter what culture, life is precious to God, and we do not have the right to take a life. And so, yes, there is forgiveness, and yes, there is hope, and many have broken this commandment, many have failed in this particular area. And I just want to say to you that there is forgiveness and there is hope and there is a better tomorrow. So this isn't a condemnation. This is an exhortation for us to have a high view of the sanctity of life, especially in this particular area. Now, the other issue is equally sensitive, and that is that of suicide. There seems to be an increasing interest in some strange way, in suicide. I just heard this week that uh, I think it was on TikTok or on some social media platform that a particular individual was trying to live stream the taking of his own life. Now, I am of the conviction that there are complexities here. And I would never lead pastorally in a particular moment, maybe in a family situation or a home situation, uh, with the theological front end of this. And so you need to hear me carefully here. But suicide is forbidden under the sixth commandment. Suicide, in a sense, is self-murder. And so there are sensitivities here. But... It is unloving for us not to tell the truth. It is unloving for us not to paint a picture of what God's perfect plan is for someone's life. You see, I do believe that suicide is a sin, but it's not the unforgivable sin. It's not unforgivable in the sense that if that person was trusting in Christ, if they were truly a believer and had simply... Fallen into a dark space or a season of life where they lost judgment on what really mattered. Maybe, just maybe in that season, if someone had come alongside and come uh, alongside them and kind of entered into their pain and reminded them of how precious their life was and that it's not. It's not right to take your own life and to remind them of God's law and God's standard and of God's plan for their lives. That maybe perhaps just that very restraint could have helped them see a better path to a better future. All that to say that we do not help people who are struggling by hiding this truth from them. We do not help them By telling them, no, don't worry, God God doesn't say anything about this. No, God does say something about this. And if we lovingly speak at the right time, it may just be one of the ways in which God uses this law to bring in restraint and redemption. To come alongside someone and to remind them that life is sacred and that only God can give and take away. Now, I want to finish by just closing, moving from cultural analysis to some heart analysis, and then we're done. As I mentioned earlier in Matthew 5, Jesus speaks directly to this issue, and he really does show us the true depths of what this commandment really is all about, helping us to see that the sixth commandment not only prohibits the violent act of murder, but also the violent emotions that lead to murder. So when Jesus addresses the sixth commandment in Matthew 5, he's not only addressing the physical act, he's addressing the heart that leads to the action. He says that hatred of heart is like heart murder. He's telling us that destructive speech is like tongue murder. These are harsh realities which actually exposes all of us. And in that sense, we have all fallen short in this particular commandment. I don't think there's one of us under close inspection where we were truly honest with ourselves, where we haven't hated someone, or at least spoken badly of someone, or been angry with someone. If that's the standard, we have all fallen short. Short, and that's why we need grace, and that's why we need Christ, and that's why we need His righteous life given on our behalf. But I want to close with this thought not only is the standard very high and very deep, but also this commandment is not just negative, this commandment is a call to Christians to work hard for the welfare of society. This is a call to Christians to value life. In the world in which we live today, we live in a culture of death. We live in a day and an age where life is cheap. People get killed for their watch or for their shoes. And if that's the world in which we live, then I want to suggest that this commandment is radically relevant for our lives today. And so I want to call us as a church and I want to call you as a Christian to cultivate A view of the sanctity of life. For we are all. Male and female. Made in the image of God. The commandment. You shall not murder. Is not just a prohibition. It's also an invitation. It's an invitation. To respect life. To value life. And to protect life. It is our job. To do that. It is our job. To honor the life giver. And so I hope that you could see. As we've journeyed through this message. That God's commandments. Are not burdensome. God's commandments are not irrelevant. In fact God's commandments. Are literally. Life giving. Let's pray. Lord we. Thank you for this word to us today. This is your word. And I pray that you would use it to minister to our hearts. Maybe we have fallen short. In fact, there's no doubt we have fallen short. In our attitudes and in our words, Lord, we... We thank you for this word of, of conviction and of encouragement. That there is, there is a better day that lies ahead for us. That there is forgiveness and there is restoration and there is healing. But also there is a calling here for us. A calling to actually love our enemies and to pray for our enemies and to bless our enemies. And to actually be more like Jesus in this world. Yes, in a world that is broken, in a world that is frustrating, in a world where there's corruption and crime. Lord, we're asking you now for help, Lord. We need you. We need you to empower us, Lord, by your spirit. That we would walk differently. That we would have a different attitude. That we would have a different response. There's so many things that we could get angry about and frustrated about, but Lord, help us help us to cultivate the right heart with the right words so that we would honor you, that we would honor the sanctity of life that all mankind are made in the image of God and deserve respect so, Lord, we pray that we, would, that we would recover this, Lord, that we would recover the, the joy of honoring you in this way, that the world would see in the church a different way, a higher standard, that we would be more like Jesus. So help us, Lord, we pray in your name. Amen.